On the Empire Podcast this week, Anomalisa directors Charlie Kaufman and Duke Johnson move really slowly into the pod booth because it's a stop motion thing. While we also chat to the witch star Anya Taylor Joy, all that and more on the movie podcast that just can't get the Ant Man theme tune out of its head. It's a terrifying earworm or ear ant, if you will. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by three colleagues, three of such lethal cunning. Count them. First up is our junior online writer. Emma Thrower. Hello, Emma. Hello, Chris. Do you know why I've moved you first? I do have an inkling. What is an inkling? Something to do with my parents, maybe. That that's yeah, yeah that sounds fairly sinister, but yes, it's your hair. <laughs> You've dyed your hair pink. I have. Now it looks fantastic. Thank you. Well done. <laughs> but why did you dye your hair pink? I didn't go in expecting to do it. Mm-hmm. My hairdresser and I just went a bit crazy and this is what happened. So this you went a little bit off the top, Bob? And Bob went, all right, I'm going to shave you. I'm gonna, yeah, it's got to be pink. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what Bob said. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay, excellent. Uh, or, or is it Tony or a guy? Neither. Okay, <laughs> interesting. Uh, the reason I uh, put you first is because I want to ask our other two colleagues of such Lethal Cunning. First up is our banana-loving uh, features editor, Dan Jolin. Hello, Dan. Hello, Chris. Have you ever done anything with your hair? Yes. What have you done? Well, I permed it once. Okay. Please have pictures. Yeah, please, please. <laughs> I do. I do have pictures, but I ain't showing them to any of you. Why and by you... any of you, I mean anyone listening. Why'd you perm your hair? Why? Yeah. Because I was young and I was foolish and I wanted to have hair like Roland out of Tears for Fears. Did you, <laughs> did you look like Eric LaSalle in Coming to America? No, I didn't, James. Soul Glow. <laughs> no. <laughs> no? Okay. Interesting. No. But yeah, yeah. Totally permed it. Totally permed. Totally permed. That's amazing. It was like a mother-loving perm. That is amazing. And uh, now your hair is long. When I first met you, your hair was very, very short. Mm. All those years ago. Hairy pea head. Back when you worked for our terrifying foes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that long. Yep. But now it's it's long. It's lush. Dan's yep. hair is lush. Yep. It's longer than mine. It is longer than yours. For the it's, people that can see this on the podcast. Yeah, mm. well, it's really good, I think, discussing hair on a yeah, podcast definitely. that you can't see. But yeah. um, there you go. Uh, and uh, last but not least, uh, is James Dyer, uh, <laughs> a man who couldn't do anything with his hair if he tried. Listen to me talk, I'm tempting fate. But yeah, you're you're bald. Thanks, bald Chris. Bald as a Statham impersonator. In fact, you are Britain's 47th greatest Jason Statham impersonator. Is that correct? Yes, I am famously shit Jason Statham. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever done anything with your hair? I've seen pictures of you when you actually had hair. Long hair. It's yeah. so weird. I had longer hair than Dan when I was a teenager. Yeah, like proper, yeah. Yeah. proper long, like proper Eddie long. Vedder long. Me- metal yeah. hair. Yeah, yeah, metal, yeah. When did it start to go? When I was 18, it started to slightly thin. And so I did the thing that all balding men do. I went into massive denial and shaved my head. <laughs> and, and have done it ever since. There we go. Yeah. I dyed my hair blue once. Did you? Mm. Really? Yeah. Hang on, hang on. Didn't you dye your hair blue when you came to interview for the Empire job? Yeah, when I came to interview... Uh, no, I didn't dye it because I was interviewing <laughs> for the Empire job. This was an interesting tactic. It was already dyed, yeah. Mm. I went, hey, they'll think I'm edgy and cool. No, my girlfriend at the time, she had red bits in her hair. And so she went, hey, you should have blue bits in, in your hair. Didn't so Ryan Philippe do something similar for... Um, was it Play by Heart? What was that? What was that ensemble piece he did that Angelina Jolie was in? And he turned up on the first day shooting with blue hair, inexplicably. Really? That was a thing. Wow. Yeah. It, it didn't last. My blue period didn't last. But there you go. Uh, well, nothing to do with news uh, or movie. <laughs> Sorry. But, yeah, I just thought it would be worth pointing out. Mm. You I, look I, like I, lightning from Final Fantasy Thirteen. Just throwing that out there. I was going to compliment Emma. I think it looks really cool. Thank it is cool. You. Yeah. It, it is, is cool. cool. Should, it's cool. Should I say cool? Is that, is that, That's good for me. Cool? That's maybe the first Or should I say rad? <laughs> Wicked? <laughs> what are the, compliment. Okay. Right. What do the kids say these yeah. days? Are you trying to, you know, it looks like you're auditioning for the X-Men. Are you auditioning for the X-Men? Yeah, you got me. I thought I had. Okay. 
Okay, let's move on from discussions of hair to uh, tackle this week's question with our usual blend of professionalism and deep research. So this comes from at Slick Pelican via Twitter. He says, I see the highly touted Event Horizon. Uh, Never heard of it, mate. Uh, It's a lowly 24% in Rotten Tomatoes. What the fuck? Um, (laughs) Sorry. Uh, What other terribly reviewed films do you love? Well, first of all, can I just say that Event Horizon is now being critically reappraised, mostly by me. But me. It's a 97, now 98% on Chris's Rotten Tomatoes, Did which there's an image. Reviewing it under CNS. <laughs> Dr. William Weir gives it five stars. <laughs> Captain Miller gives it six. Chris's rancid fruits. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on swiftly. So, you know, everyone loves a terrible film, don't they? Not that Event Horizon is terrible, but at the time it was not well reviewed. Mm. But I think, actually, genuinely, I'm not kidding, it genuinely has been critically reappraised. It is certainly seen as Paul Thomas Anderson's best film. <laughs> <laughs> That's because he didn't direct it. Paul W.S. Anderson's best film. <laughs> actually, you know what? Screw it. It is Paul Thomas Anderson's best film as well. <laughs> right. Jimbo, you like Drek. <laughs> I mean, you get, really? Yeah, you do. I, I, I suppose some of the films that I love that I would have thought were badly reviewed are, in fact, not. Like, I love Commando because it's brilliant, except it's not really brilliant, is it? And yet it is fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. You just checked, you've checked this. I've just checked. You've so just is checked The this. Running Man, which I also love and assumed was much maligned. I think standards were lower in the 80s, but I'm quite pleased. One of my all-time guilty pleasures, Nuns on the Run, however, <laughs> is not fresh. Nuns um, on the Run taught me the phrase, spectacles, testicles, wallet, wallet and watch. watch. Yes. Yeah, which, which you know, being from Northern Ireland, but not of the Catholic persuasion, I, it was a phrase that was that was just lost to me. Uh, but there you go, spectacles, testicles, walk yeah. and watch. It's the only reason why I remember Nuns in the Run, and there's nothing to do with the shower scene. Um, <laughs> but there we go. Oh, yes. Don't um, say it in that creepy way. <laughs> That's not the reason I love the film. Okay. So, I'm a big fan of Robert Coltrane's work. No, that, also, um, weirdly, Waterworld and The Postman are both films I quite like, I'm sorry to say, that's six hours of your life you never get back. But still, I don't think either of those are particularly well regarded. Waterworld and The Postman. Yeah. Again, Waterworld's had a bit of a reappraisal over the years. Has it? Main, yeah. Mainly by Kevin Costner. <laughs> yeah, mm. because this film's awesome, guys. You should definitely check it out on Kev's Rancid Fruits. <laughs> <laughs> Quite like that idea. Interesting. Dan? Well, it's, it's a funny one, this, because there is a film which I recognise as being terrible, but I, I enjoy watching over and over again. And that's like uh, 10% on Rotten Tomatoes, and, and it's Dungeons and Dragons. Ooh. But I know it's crap. It really is. So I'm not sure it counts. I'm not sure it really counts. But with the uh, Jeremy Irons. With Jeremy Irons as the evil wizard Profion, and it's got a great line where he's, his henchman, Bruce Payne, actually says the line, Just like you thieves. Always taking things that don't belong to you. <laughs> well, yeah. Quite, quite literal, isn't he? They're thieves, yeah. dude. Of course, that's what they do. You're just stating the obvious. Anyway, it just makes me laugh. But there's also, I think, 47% a bit higher on, mm-hmm. on Rotten Tomatoes is The Mummy Returns, which yeah. I, I actually, I, I, I really like. The first film, The Mummy, mm. is just fresh. It's just over the limit on yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. And I really enjoyed that. I was like, I wasn't expecting anything from it. Steve, so this is the Stephen Summers film starring Rachel Weisz and Brendan Fraser. And I thought those two had like proper chemistry. And I thought it was really fun. And added sort of a bit of a fun kind of, you know, cheap Indiana Jones vibe to it. Definitely better. The second one's better than the... Th- third one which is oh, no, no, pretty no, no, awful yeah. no. but none of them are as good as the ride at Universal Studios so you know. <laughs> oh. just run that okay. out okay but The Mummy Returns has, has zombie pygmies 
It does. It does. <laughs> it does have zombie pigs. It has zombie pig meat. It also has the terrible CG, The Rock. Yeah. Oh yes. There is that. But also, you see, the other thing is, when it came out, I was, I was like, I was well into my uh, WWE kind of phase. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was, I was really into. And The Rock, as as anyone knows, you know, there's there's never been a stink man like The Rock. He is amazing. Well, when he's in the ring and 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 giving it all that. So that was his first big film role. So I was really excited to see him in it. What? Why are you pulling a face, Chris? You just said the phrase, when he was in the ring and giving it all that. Yeah. And I managed Sorry. to not react. I felt him looking at me. And it I feel like I've made a breakthrough here. I feel okay. like I've turned a corner. You, you, want to, you want to talk about the rock strudel? I'm very proud. <laughs> the rock likes to talk about his strudel. Does he? Yeah, what well, he did. Okay. Maybe not so much anymore. Now he's Dwayne Johnson. Can you smell what the rock is cooking? Exactly, literally. Mm. With the strudel. Anyway, <laughs> so actually the presence of the rock in that film was, was a big, big bonus for me so maybe that skewed it as well but yeah right, he looked shit at the end <laughs> <laughs> he did he looked absolutely terrible mm-hmm. Emma you probably weren't alive at the time but um, <laughs> when, when this movie came out one of the very first things that um, one of the very first big movies that came out when I joined Empire and I just remember everyone being in the, in the screen room and that, that thing comes out and you're, mm. you, you kind of go well I'm sure this movie would be great when it's finished mm-hmm. it's, well it's out in three days yeah. time ooh Okay. <laughs> okay. No, the first one. The first one was one of the big films at school that kind of. Oh. It was. You could go and see it if your mum would allow you, but I didn't go. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Can't remember how old it was. But it's yeah. Ex- exactly the same. When I saw the mummy, I called up my mum. My mum, can I see this? <laughs> she went. You're 23. <laughs> Leave me alone. Haven't you moved out already? Stop being a drain on my resources. I hate you. <sighs> Anyway, I saw The Mummy actually in London when I came uh, over in 1999 for an R.E.M. concert with my friend Ross. We went to see it at the Empire Leicester Square. We went, oh, let's go see The Mummy. So we went to see The Mummy and I said, one ticket for The Mummy, please. And they gave the guy a £20 note and he gave me back £6 change. And I actually said, no, 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 I gave you a 20. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise that that's what London prices were even a long time ago. 17 years, oh, Jesus. You're such a little country mouse, aren't you? <laughs> Thank you for finishing that sentence. <laughs> But yes, yes, it's true. Emma, what's your what's your uh, favorite least favorite? I mean, I didn't know whether <laughs> I don't do myself <laughs> any favorites. <laughs> do we do we do we need to preface this joke by explaining that Emma is professionally wrong in all of her <laughs> opinions? I mean, Emma loved Chappy. Yeah, yeah. See, Chappy on list. Chappy was the one I was going to bring up because I mean, thirty two percent, and I yeah. think twenty seven of that was from us, wasn't it? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Maybe it was my review somewhere else. I love Chappy, so I gave myself some higher ones so I could kind mm-hmm. of. Avoid the robot questions. The other one, which I got stick for from my friends on Twitter when we were talking about something else similar like this a while ago, and I mentioned Chappie, and they said, The mm-hmm. Amazing Spider-Man 2. Because I, granted, I've not watched it since it came out, uh-huh. but I, <laughs> I love that film, and I may have given it five stars, and let's maybe not talk about that again. I stand by it at the moment. I've not mm. watched it since, but I'm scared to watch it back in case I am professionally wrong. And just give James yeah. more vitriol. You are, nothing is not consistent, and I, I think that's important. Yeah. There's some good stuff in Amazing Spider-Man 2, but I don't see that being critically appraised <laughs> in, in 10 years' time. But for me, it's Paul Thomas Anderson's third best film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, that's pretty so, spot on. What do I know? We should probably mention how Rotten Tomatoes works. Incidentally, it's not just that everyone gives these films like one star or zero stars, and so therefore they get bad reviews. It, it's a, a, a aggregation, isn't it, mm-hmm. of bad reviews and good reviews and if you get over 60% or 3 stars if you're Empire then you're 60% and you're fresh and that's good and if you're below that then you're rotten and that's bad and so it adds up all the reviews and finds them into good or bad it's that simple so it means that there's a lot of films out there that have had 0% on Rotten Tomatoes I wasn't going to come in and just go through terrible films or films that are 
you know, that I quite liked that mm. have got a terrible Rotten Tomatoes score. Although Equilibrium, James, you and I have a, oh, have a love for that film. Equilibrium. 38% on Rotten Tomatoes. And honestly, it's that's probably right, but it's got some great stuff in it. That is literally better than everything Paul Thomas Anderson's ever done. Careful, James. You're treading on my dreams. There's a list, because there's always a list of everything. Wikipedia has a, a list of all the 0% rated films on Rotten Tomatoes since you know, time immemorial or when it began three years ago. Or what stands out? Uh, what stands out is so there's a Paul Newman exploding volcano disaster film called When Time Ran Out, which is pretty terrible, but not 0% terrible. Anyone have seen that? No. No. It's, it's, you never seen that? No. It's not good, but at the same Apparently time... Apparently not. <laughs> at the same time, it's not 0%. Beyond the Poseidon Adventure, that's got 0% on here as well. The Hills of Ice Part 2, 0%. 8 Million Ways to Die. The uh, Jeff Bridges film. Mm-hmm. Uh, based on one of the Matt Scudder novels. That's not a 0% film. What's, that's madness. Police Academy 4, Citizen Sun Patrol. This is just nonsense. Jaws of Revenge. <laughs> the best of the Jaws movies. <laughs> no. Police Academy 6, City Under Siege, uh, also gets 0%. But Police Academy 5, Assignment Miami Beach, that was obviously a, a spike, yeah. a high for the series. Uh, never Ending Story 2, the next chapter. <laughs> Second Sight. Let me see what else. Iron Eagle 3 gets 0%. I mean, that's just wrong. Death Wish 5, The Face of Death gets 5. Police Academy Mission to Moscow gets uh, gets 0% as well. The Dentist to Corbin Burnson horror film gets uh, 0%. Chris, Chris, yeah. what, what point are you proving here? <laughs> I'm just, I'm listing films that, don't, yeah, that, that, are, that are shit. That are quite enjoyable. That's uh, the point of the question. Oh, 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 right, okay. That's the point of the question. I, did, I was confused because now it's just a list of shit films, right? No, they're not shit, Dan. They're Police Academy films. Wait a second. Look, you've, uh, got to, you've got to look at the pre-Mahoney. Uh, all right. The pre, or the, the Mahoney era. Post-Mahoney is just bad. Yeah, when Matt McCoy turned up is yeah. uh, just L- rubbish. Bassard's nephew or Bassard's whatever nephew. it was, yeah. Just I mean, nonsense. what was that all about? Nonsense. Yeah. Diabolical. Literature. Hateful. All right, and then just from this year, I will mention very, very quickly, films that do not deserve to be 0% for me on Rotten Tomatoes. The Ridiculous Six is on there. Joe Dirt 2, Beautiful Loser. I haven't mm. seen it, but it's got David Spade in it, so it's automatically <laughs> good. And then, last but not least, this is from a few years ago, Pudsy the Dog the Movie. Seems harsh. It does seem harsh. But there you go. That's that question answered, I'm sure, to the satisfaction of the person who asked it. <laughs> uh, if you want to have your question read out in the Emperor Podcast, uh, do send them in via Twitter. We're at Emperor Magazine. Use the hashtag Emperor Podcast. You can email us, podcast at emperoronline.com. Oh, and by the way, our agony uncle, Billy Sane, is back, back, back. So if you have any problems, genuine problems... Don't have to be film related. That you want Billy Zane, who's uniquely qualified, of course, having graduated from the School of Life, to tackle your problems in complete confidence, I will say, in a, in a future issue of Empire Magazine. Also use that email address, podcast at empireonline.com. Use the subject heading Billy Zane or I have an embarrassing problem. I've got a friend who fancies his cousin. <laughs> <laughs> you got a friend who fancies Billy Zane's cousin? Yeah. <laughs> How is Billy Zane going to help this? What do you want me to What are you doing? What are you doing? That's why we sorry, never have you in a podcast. Anyway. You derail things. You're an anarchist. <laughs> and of course, if you want to uh, get in touch with us via Facebook, we're on uh, Facebook as well as Empire Magazine. Right. There we go. Should we have a guest? Let's have a guest. Let's have uh, two guests, in fact. Our guest this week, our first guest this week, are the co-directors of the mind-bending stop-motion puppet drama, and I always get this wrong, Anomalisa. Correct. Think, yes! Okay. Yes, well Is it right? It's like Mona yes. Lisa. Yeah, Lisa. No, no, no. It's like anomali- anomalies, right? Anomalies. Anomalisa. That's like Lisa. Anomalisa. Whereas yeah. anomaliza, as we've established, is what you use to surf the internet for porn. Okay, you said that before we went on air. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't understand it then, and I don't understand <laughs> it now. it sounds a bit like anonymizer. It's a pun. 
anonymizer. Yes. Okay. And I must have missed 60 minutes. What? <laughs> how do I need to explain this to you of all people? How <laughs> to be I mean, a deviant on the all, internet? <laughs> of all people. You make it sound like when I'm not doing the podcast, I'm just masturbating. <laughs> I'm not. I, I do make it sound like that. I what is the thing you just said? An, an, an anonymizer. An, okay. An, 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 an anonymizer. What is it? Anonymizer. It's a hydro IP address. I have heard on the internet. <laughs> he said uh, far too quickly. Uh, and masks who you are from websites. And presumably your employer, Chris. So that's, Interesting. that's useful. We should have a chat after the show. Okay. So the directors of Anomalizer? Lisa. Anomalisa. Anomalisa. Anomalisa, sorry. Uh, one is Duke Johnson, who may not be known to mainstream audiences, but the other one, Charlie Kaufman, is, he is, of course, the writer of Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Mind, Adaptation, being John Malkovich, and the director of Synecdoche, New York. And he's now back, back, back with this movie uh, about stop-motion puppets. And we sent our big-brained John Nugent along to climb into the portal inside their heads and extract the information from within. And how we managed to get back to that intro after what we just did... <laughs> I deserve a Pulitzer, I think. Uh, enjoy the interview. So, Charlie Kaufman, Duke Johnson, welcome to the Empire Podcasts. Thank How you, are thank you both? You. Okay, good. <laughs> good. Excellent. So, we're here to talk about Anna obviously. Uh, first off, congratulations on your Oscar nomination. Thank you. Did you guys attend the ceremony? We did, yeah. We did, yeah. Yes. How, how was that experience? I mean, you, we had different experiences. You know, Charlie's yeah. been there before, but, you know, my experience was... Uh, I was trying not to – it was pretty clear that we weren't going to win because we had been nominated for many awards uh, leading up to – that's sort of the, – the Oscars is sort of the climax of award season and, and Inside Out had been winning everything. So we, I went into it, you know, secretly wanting to win, but just looking at the experience as uh, a culmination of, uh, of of what we had been through with the film and, and sort of – a a recognition of uh, a, a certain accomplishment or something. I don't know. It was it was nice. I brought my family. Charlie, how was it for you? I I, I mean, you obviously won in 2005 for Eternal Sunshine. I um, did. And that is one of my all-time favorite speeches. Oh, um, oh, oh the speech. Oh. The, the film as Sorry, well. No, whatever, man. <laughs> it's one of my all-time no, favorite. It pleased you in some way. Genuinely, the, the, the film is one of my all-time favorite oh, uh, films. You. But um, but speech. your speech is really? just it's just wonderful to behold because you look really un- unhappy to be there, really. And oh, I was unhappy for a few reasons. Yeah. But I won't get into that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was. did I look unhappy? I've never looked at it. I don't. I can't look at things like that. All I remember is that I was counting down with the... Suddenly there's a screen flipping That's number right, in front yeah. of me and I was counting with it because it seemed ludicrous um, <laughs> to be there. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's 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 a weird thing to be put into this competition with things that have nothing to do with you and then to sort of like hope for results that are going to please you when obviously they make no difference in, in any way. Um <laughs> You know, and everybody's there doing it in their little monkey suits. And um, so <laughs> I, I feel a little bit like, you know, we've all been suckered. You know, I think if you if you told people ahead of time who won, then those are the people who would show up and they wouldn't have this show that gets, that gets to sell advertising time. So it's all about suckering people who want trophies to, um, you know, to show up. And and there I was. So... <laughs> What what is the the actual ceremony like? I won't talk about Oscars for the entire interview, but uh, there's that Johnny Carson quote of like it's two hours of sparkling entertainment. It's a lot of people stretched out to four hours. You know, it's a lot of people that look extremely uncomfortable, sort of physically, 
because they're wearing things that are physically uncomfortable. Like the yeah. women look like they're in like sort of medieval torture <laughs> equipment. Like they're walking on, you know, beds of nails and their feet are yeah. painful. And the men are all homogenized and like <laughs> wearing the same thing. And, and they're also uncomfortable because they either are nervous or anxious or want to win and, or, or bored or don't want to be there. It's or angry or angry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But everybody's pretending that none of that is true. Right. Except me. <laughs> Except for Charlie. Charlie's the only It was honest. good this time because we were in animation and, and so we were relegated to the back of the room. So okay. there are no cameras on us. So you don't have to you know, do standing ovations and pretend and, and that you're happy about things because no one will ever see. Um, so that's good. Your um, your fellow nominees in this category are mm. mostly sort of family friendly fare. Is completely? It's fair I think it's not mostly. I think not it's mostly. almost yeah. entirely. It's, yeah. yeah, for children. Yeah, yeah. and you, your film is very much not family friendly. I would say very much. Um, do you think it's an, a misconception that animation has to be fan, family friendly? Yes. Yes, we do, and we were hoping to prove that with this film, but we haven't been able to. <laughs> it seems like it does need to be family friendly. So, yeah. Um, well, at least to be uh, financially yeah, yeah, viable. Yeah. So do you think the, um, the story of this film is very specific to animation? Do you think it could only be told through this medium? No, um, it would be a different movie if it were told in another form, but it was told in this form and it, it's, it's just as viable in this form as it would be in any form. I mean, it's sort of, people ask, well, why did it need to be animated? Like somehow, if you do animation, you have to have, you know, people flying through the air and 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 turning into different things. But animation is just a, a way of making films. And, th and, and the thing that people don't think about is that most of their superhero movies and, uh, uh, you know, other live-action movies are almost completely animated mm. now. So, you know... Um, but they don't think they're animated. They don't, they don't really understand that that's animation. And, you know... It's like Deadpool flying through the air, shooting bad guys. Like, that is animated. Yeah. The Bear and the Revenant is anim animated. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yeah. We were, at, and we were at the Animation Awards when that bear won an award. Yeah, and of course oh, really? that won that an award. That yeah. sequence won an award for best animation in a live action film. Oh, really? Yeah. What was uh, the experience like for you making this film? Because animation is such a labor-intensive process. I mean, how many sort of seconds of footage did you get every day? Uh, we the the goal was two seconds per animator per day, okay. which was often mostly not met, but that was the goal. Okay. So, how many animators did you have? On the like film? thirteen at the most at okay. any given time. I mean, there were different animators; they came and went, but that was the number that was working when the most animators were there. So it's a very long and sort of drawn out process. I mean, I know Duke, you have lots of experience in animation, but but. Charlie, you're you're familiar with more live action. Yeah, work. no, this was. Did, I mean, did you find it uh, a, a sort of tedious process at times? Was you, did you get impatient at all? Um, no, not really. I mean, we worried a lot about money. You know, I'm not I'm not there manipulating the puppets, so it's not tedious in the in the same way it might be for someone who's doing that. But it, you know, certainly had to wait for stuff to come in mm. and get a a second here or a second there of stuff to look at and. It was always exciting to see those seconds, but they were, they were seconds, you know, at a time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You obviously only have three voice actors in this film. Can you talk a little bit about your decision to cast David Thewlis? I did this play in 2005, and the same actors were in that play. And I just cast actors that I wanted to work with. 
Um, I mean, I didn't cast them in like you be in the play. I just, I called them people I didn't know and said, would you want to do this play? And David said, yes. So um, that was the reason. It was just somebody who I thought was a really great actor who I thought, oh, I have a chance to direct somebody. I'll pick somebody I really want to work with. Is there anything about his voice that was specifically drew you to him? Because it's a very thick Lancashire accent, which is very sort of gratifying as a British person to hear. I think his accent and his voice are great. Mm. Um, and I guess that's part of what makes him the actor that he is. But it was the performance in Naked, which obviously has a lot of his accent in it. But that was the movie that I saw where I thought, oh, man, this mm. guy's amazing. And what about uh, Tom Noonan, who essentially plays every other human in the again, world? Again, he's an actor I really wanted to work with, and he, but he has a voice that was uh, what I felt was correct for this, where it's sort of like, um, it's very distinctive. It's got a very sort of distinctive delivery and inflection. It's a little bit sinister. It's a little bit calming. There's a kind of a monotone to it. And I thought it would be recognizable from character to character. I mean, my main direction to Tom when we did the play and when we did the movie, we wanted the same thing, was that he not change his voice for any of the characters. He could change his attitude. You know, he could be a kid and he could be a, a wife and he could be a waitress, but it's still Tom doing it. And so I thought it was kind of brilliant the way he was able to um, portray all these different people without changing his voice. And then we have Jennifer Jason Lee as as uh, Anomalisa as or Lisa. One of the standout scenes in this film is when she sings "Girls Just Want to Have Fun," mm-hmm. which is a fantastic and very funny and quite sort of charming moment. What was the reasoning behind that specific song? Were there any other songs that you wanted to go for? The play was a different song. It was mm. um, "My Heart Will Go On" by Celine Dion, okay. and we couldn't get the rights to it, so we had to find something else. And, you know, we we kind of brainstormed and girls just want to have fun was one of the possibilities. And when we heard Jennifer do a, a, a rendition of it, we thought, yeah, this is the song. So, that's, yeah. Yeah. So it, it was fortuitous because it's better than my heart will go on for, for us. Um, but it's an accident, really, that we got it. Was it something that had to be some karaoke, a sort of karaoke level song? or I think we were looking for something quiet. Um, trying to remember and we were looking for something that would make sense for the character of Lisa to like do you remember what the other kind of um, I mean we wanted something that was sort of what's the word Uh, you know mainstream mainstream yeah Yeah. that everybody would know but that but that if it could have um, an additional meaning or purpose feeling of the other of all the songs that we were looking at for the replacement of that other song. This was the one that I think had those things. It had, it, it felt like it pertained to Lisa in a way that, you know, was wonderful and surprising. Uh, another sort of standout moment in this film is uh, the sex scene, which for a film that is animated, it's it's one of the most sort of realistic sex scenes I think we've ever seen. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what was the genesis for this, this scene? How, how did it all come about? Well, it's in the play. But in the play, since it's a staged reading, it was just Jennifer and, and David moaning on stage, separated by about 20 feet. So it played funny. Um, and, you know, when we're going to realize it visually, we were talking about what it should be. And we wanted it to be um, true and honest and not a joke. There was sort of this sort of idea that puppet sex was going to be funny. And we wanted to fight against that. So yeah. we spent a lot of time trying to sort of figure out who these characters were and how they would interact at this point in their relationship and then it was very complicated to, to animate it took about six months um the you know the bodies don't do that the things that they were doing naturally so there were a lot of rigging and there was the bed had to be animated and the clothing was animated and the so 
It was a very complicated thing to shoot. Does this sort of thing take a lot of storyboarding? Do you have to... I, I know with animation studios like Pixar, they like to act out scenes before animating. I don't know if this is something you would we do. We did both. We did yeah, both. Yeah. Right? We storyboarded it, and we also um, we brought in a couple of uh, adult actors, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, because, you know, it's it's a... It, animation is kind of... Um, there's an emotional element. There's a performance element. Um, and a lot of that comes from the voice actors and the animators. But then there's also like this sort of like scientific element. There's a there's a physics to how things move and having it look physically natural. And you know what how a bed compresses as bodies move up towards the head of the bed and how the clothes come off and and what order these things occur and how the sheets pull back and that's something that's you know you don't really want to have actors do because um i don't know it's un- it's uncomfortable to ask them to do that yeah. and you know uh so yeah we brought in some professionals and okay. had them kind of run through the motions of it a couple times and a couple times and use that combined with our direction combined with the animators combined with the voice performances and kind of came up with a plan and and the actress um did hit her head against the headboard when she oh, scooted right. up the bed, and so, which was funny and sweet. So we had Lisa do that. Finally, then, what what are you guys working on next? Do you have anything else in the pipeline? Are you going to collaborate again together? We'd like to do something else together. I don't know if it's going to be feasible at this point. Yeah, it depends. Uh, you know, depends uh, on if the movie the, makes money. Anomalisa didn't make enough money in America to uh, make a studio. They're not beating a path us. to our door. Yeah. <laughs> But um, we're both doing other stuff. I'm I'm going to do a live action film next. Okay. I mean, I'm trying. I'm trying to get stuff done. We'll see. Okay. Well, I really hope uh, something happens. We we really look forward to your next projects. Thank, thank you, you very guys, much, guys. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks. Okay, that was uh, Duke Johnson and Charlie Kaufman. We'll be discussing Anomalisa. Yes. Lisa. Anomalisa. Lisa. Anomalies. Anom- I'm just going to say anomalies and then put an uh, on the end. Yeah. Okay. We'll be discussing anomalies. Uh, um, later on in the show. But uh, for now, let's talk about movie news. So what has been happening this week, people? Well, they released some character shots, some more character shots from uh, The Preacher Show, which is exciting, right? Very. Yeah. So uh, we got, we've seen another shot of uh, Dominic Cooper as Jesse Custer and Joe Gilgan as Cassidy, the Irish vampire, mm-hmm. and Ruth Negger as Tulip, who is the third main character in it. <laughs> I was going to say the love interest, but it just sounds crap if you just describe sound, the sounds, character as the love interest. Yeah, it sounds really reductive. Yeah, it's really early, reductive. Early 90s. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Man. Sorry, world. Yeah. So, yes, obviously, as uh, James sarcastically puts it, uh, talk, discussing new pictures on a podcast is a little bit pointless, but... In theory, Dan, discussing anything film-related on a podcast is, is by I its very so. nature, reductive and pointless. Shall we stop? Let's just stop. Yeah, let's okay. just stop. Okay. Podcast okay. cancelled. Bye. He's literally leaving the room. See you guys. <laughs> he has literally left the room. He can't get back in there. So and he didn't bring his card with him, so he can't oh, he get did. back in. Oh, yeah, he's back. <laughs> so, yeah, so Preacher's like one of the, you know, one of the all-time greats of, you know, of, of, of comic books in terms of the, the wave, the new wave of kind of adult-orientated vertigo comic books from yeah. the, I want to say, early 90s. Is it? Or was it yeah, before that? That's status. Yeah. I mean, my God. Anyway, so I'm really interested to see what they do with this. And of course, uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg mm. are behind the pilot, at least. 
Um, so that's an interesting choice. But as, as, as we were talking about actually in the office earlier, I kind of, I really love the early preachers in terms of the comic book, but I think later on it gets, goes a bit off the rails, gets a bit uh, too wrapped up in, in its own kind of slightly juvenile kind of, yeah, oh, you, you know, kind of, we, yeah, we really went there kind of humour. Yeah, you, you um, said that earlier when you were saying it's quite childish and juvenile, and we said, didn't you like the villain hair star? And Chris said, the one who gradually turns into a penis, and then we rolled about laughing <laughs> while you glared at us. Yeah. 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 So that may have proved your point. Yeah. Yeah. But th- th- it starts off with a really interesting idea, which is that um, this uh, preacher who's lost his faith gets imbued with the holy power of the word of God. And like, uh, very much like Kilgrave mm. in uh, Jessica Jones, in fact, identically to Kilgrave in Jessica Jones, except this guy's a hero, in inverted commas, <laughs> uh, he can basically control people's mind. He can, he can order them to do things and they have to do them. So when he tells someone to go uh, F themselves, and by F I mean fuck, um, <laughs> <laughs> he uh, obviously they, that, they, they oh, and, and, you know there you go that's the level of humour in it Dan, um, Dan comes on the podcast and just immediately it becomes just debauched <laughs> but uh, but yeah so I, I'm really interested but we don't know when we're getting it here in the UK yet do we no we don't I, I heard it might be turning up uh, summertime in the US so but yeah there's no there's no broadcast off the UK yet which mm. is a bit it's funny because this is this has obviously come just a few days after uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt announced his removal from Sandman mm. uh, which I think came as a bit of a blow to a number yeah. of people citing mm. creative differences with that, New Line that old chestnut yeah, I indeed. was creative they were different well quite yeah which is a bit of a shame a bit of a shame. It'd just be so nice to see Dominic Cooper doing something a bit darker because obviously he's got Agent Carter, but he's very sort of having a lot of fun with that. Mm. But you've never really, well, I haven't seen the films where he's gone darker. And I think he, a lot of people that don't believe that he's really got those chops. So it'd be really nice to see him get his teeth into something. And Joe Gilgan's incredible. So to see yeah. those two go up against each other will be hopefully amazing. <clears throat> yeah, totally, totally agree. Um, I mean, The Devil's Double was a film, uh, an yeah, underseen film, um, which, which is actually pretty good. And Dominic Cooper's fantastic in that, mm-hmm. I thought, uh, playing two roles. And he dare, he definitely gets to explore his dark side in that. Yeah. But uh, I know what you're saying. I think it's interesting casting uh, all round. But yeah, the one I'm most excited about is Joe Gilgan. And Cassidy's the best character mm. of, of the main trio. Mm. He's amazing. I love Cassidy. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because... Uh, Rogan and, and Goldberg have already said that they're changing quite a lot for the series, mm. for the pilot and for the series. But at the same time, they love the comic book. And so it's interesting because the comic book is only 66 issues and obviously Garth Ennis had a, a destination in his head when he started off. So I'll be intrigued to see whether this has a, a shelf life, whether, you know, they, if it ever gets beyond season one, whether they'll have a, an end point because most seasons don't, do they? The Walking Dead is going to go on forever unless everyone gets bored or dies which seems unlikely at the moment but it's very rare isn't it for a show to Babylon 5 when it started out they said G. Michael Straczynski yeah Straczynski had an, a very clear years. arc which then got horribly derailed when they kind of cancelled it and then uncancelled mm. it and kind of fucked up his whole plan quite frankly yeah. uh, obviously Game of Thrones has an end point or will do if George R. R. Martin finishes the books Battlestar Galactica had a definite ending Breaking Bad had a definite ending The Wire had a definite ending Sopranos had a definite ending yeah yeah, but they didn't. Uh, they didn't start out at that point. The wire. Uh, David Simon, for example, went just from season to season, mm-hmm. just hoping that very HBO true. would re- re- renew it. So it's very rare for something to have an endpoint in in mind. And I'm not saying this one does. I'm not saying they're going to go. We're only doing three seasons of Preacher, which of course is you know unusual. Mm. But the leftovers is. For example, let's just announce that it's going to be finishing with, with three seasons. Yeah. But you know, the point is, you know, are they going to go in and go, there are only 66 issues of the comic book, so we're only going to do four seasons. You know, which I think would be refreshing. Because then what you have is uh, the creators and the showrunners, they just string things out endlessly and mm-hmm. they retcon everything and it, it, go, it all turns to mush. Yeah. 
but I'm really excited about it, so yeah. fingers crossed. What's happened as well, while we're, while we're recording this podcast, we're recording it unusually on a late Thursday afternoon. The Captain America Civil War second trailer has literally broken while we've been sitting in here, so mm-hmm. we can't really talk mm-hmm. about it. But I can see Twitter's reaction to it, and it's squee and wee and oh my <laughs> god and oh, you know, all those fluids. things and some emojis. And fluids, you know, that, that, that fluid emoji yeah. that makes it look as if... This is a very carnal podcast. It's been a very I apologize. Time. Yeah. I mm. apologize for what's happening. This is what happens when I'm in close proximity to James. He just <laughs> he brings something out of me. So we won't be discussing the this of war trailer unless of course you wanted to do a podcast first which is actually have us watch the trailer. I'm literally I'm bringing it up now. Well, I've got it. I've got it here. Oh, let's watch it. Let's watch it. Oh, let's this, watch it now. Emma, Emma gather around. Gather, right, gather around. around. Okay. Everyone. Well, that's a very good trailer. Okay, so we've now watched the <laughs> live. We just watched the Captain America Civil War uh, trailer. Wow, I'm wow. impressed. Mm-hmm. But then again, <laughs> I always would be Mr. Marvel over there. Mr. Marvel, I'm yeah. I got a question though, right? Okay, okay. When you're in a group of people, and then there's another group of people, and you start running at each other, right? Yes. How do you think they sort of beforehand they checked with each other who they were running at? I mean, what happens if you start running at someone and you think, actually, I, I'm going to change my mind, I'm going to run at that person over there, and then you end up, two of you end up running at one person, and then one of the other people on the other side ends up with no one to run at, and they'll feel left out. Yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> yeah, and no one can ever see Ant Man coming, so and yeah. never, they'll never Who's see Who's running him at him? It's all very interesting. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, we'll, that's, we'll, seriously, though, fantastic, yeah. I thought. That was, yeah. that was like, ooh, stakes are raised. Squeeze, Spider-Man. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah. In, case, in case you haven't seen the trailer, Spider-Man's in it at the end. Now, what do we think of that? I mean, yesterday, Quint from Interco News, uh, Eric Vespi, was, was talking about how he would quite like Spider-Man to be held back completely for the, the movie, and I kind of agreed with him. But that's such a little money not even yeah. a little, that's a massive money shot. Uh, Spider-Man webbing Captain America's mm. shield out of his hands. A money spider shot. A money... This is veering towards sexual again. Can we, yeah, you know... Sorry. This is... Uh, I, I thought it was really, really good, but as someone else pointed out, I don't know who, sorry, they want to get the, the Spider-Man out there and the, yeah. and the merchandise and, the, and the promotions for, mm. the, for the film. And so I wasn't yeah. sure about the CG moving eyes. Oh, I like that. Oh, I thought that, that was I really like that. I'm not sure about that. It's How, the whole yeah. thing looked very CG to me. So I need to go back. I've, we literally only saw it once, and it was on my phone. On a phone. Optimal quality. Just how the Rooster Brothers wanted it to be seen. Mm-hmm. So we need to go back and, and ex- explore every frame. But yeah, really, really good. And this time, focus more on Cap and Tony rather than, mm. than Bucky. Yeah. Uh, so it was very but much... That that dynamic between those two is, is, is incredibly compelling. Weirdly, this is probably the film I'm second most excited about this year. Yeah. After Rogue One. And I'm just, yeah, this trailer really, really did it for me. This feels like the Avengers. I think that's why it feels so exciting. Because... Mm. Even though we know we've got more Avengers films coming, this is the big show-off that everybody wants. Yeah. And finally seeing everyone together. Everyone, everyone, the expanded lot. This could just as easily be the Avengers Civil War. It doesn't need to be... Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's, it, there's so many people in it. Yeah, it's, but the, the, as the Russo brothers have said from day one, it is Captain America, and they will focus on Captain America. So therefore, yeah. it is his story. And we should, in the interest of fairness and balance, I should say, and I've meant to say on the podcast for several weeks now, Captain America, colon, Civil War. Because <laughs> uh, if it's good enough for Donald Justice, it's good enough for Civil War. So yeah, I, 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 I think it looks fantastic. I am still worried about how they're going to fit that many characters and that many storylines into one movie and make it coherent and introduce Spider-Man, and who's clearly, as we had suspected, aligned himself with Tony Stark and Iron Man in this, as he did to an extent in the Civil War comic book Indeed. as well. So that's, that's very interesting. Scarlet Witch beating up the Vision, which A is interesting because uh, obviously in the comics they're 
Yeah. yeah. They have a long history mm-hmm. together. But also it's interesting, interesting because the vision is very powerful and it shows that she's very powerful as well. So, ooh, power, power, power. Uh, but that's not dwell too much on Marvel. There's the news that the Venom movie is uh, getting oh, some traction. Yeah, that's that's interesting as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is happening, that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it looks like it is. We don't know a great deal about it. It's got a writer, one of the guys who worked on uh, Edge of Tomorrow. I, I love Venom as a character and I hated him in Spider-Man 3 as indeed I think did Raimi but uh, yeah, he didn't, so want to, I, didn't want to use him did no. he? And I'd really like to see him in a film. But it's interesting, you know, are they going to take Venom the villain or Venom the kind of... Because he's reinvented himself as an anti-hero, hasn't he, really, at this point. But yeah, I've always always liked Venom. He's going to be R-rated, talking to the camera. (laughs) Yes. Doing rude things. Yes, with with his symbiote. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I I don't know. We'll we'll see how that one goes. I mean, you know, they've they've announced a Venom movie before and not quite got there. I'm worried it might be box office poison. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Can uh, can we talk about the fact again? Back to Seth Rogen that um, him and Evan Goldberg are producing a Where's Wally film. We we, we. <laughs> when's that coming out? I don't even know. I tried to find the release date and I just I looked and looked and looked, looked. Um, on the list. <laughs> and you are dreadful. No, Honestly, he did my no head in. I just stared at that list. I couldn't see it anywhere. It, it might pop up in Preacher. <laughs> I don't know. Is it not Where's Waldo? Yeah, in America. Mm. But I guess obviously... Because over here it's over here. Wally and yeah. over there it's Waldo. Yeah, sorry American mm. listeners. Yeah. So when's Wally? That's what you want to know. Yeah. Yeah. When's yeah. Wally? When's, when's Wally? When's Waldo? That's interesting. So did they just get a tall guy with a red and white striped shirt to star in that one? Maybe so. it's a mystery. Like, they've got to find him. Like, genuinely. Mm. Like Paper Towns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's yes. gone missing. Of all the parallels to draw, <laughs> it is much like Paper Towns. I don't know. My mind, um, like Emma, my mind always goes to Paper Towns. Yeah. In any situation. I've seen it really recently. Sorry, that's why. Okay. This week, uh, there was confirmation as well that the Han Solo movie will feature Chewbacca, the mighty Wookiee Chewbacca, as we, again, we suspected. Uh, Some mummy news, we talked about the mummy earlier on, Mm. uh, and there's a mummy remake happening as well. Uh, Tom Cruise is starring in the mummy remake. Really? Did you not know this? Wow. Honestly, I'm glad I come on this podcast, because I find (laughs) all kinds of things out when I'm here. That's amazing. Do you know who Tom Cruise is? Do you want me to explain that to you as well? No, 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 I know, big, famous, small, yep. Big famous small, yeah, little, yep. little tiny fella runs around yep. clinging onto planes. Um, and I say that respectfully as a fellow small man. Yes, but you don't cling onto planes, do you, Dan? No, no that's true. No, that is don't. true. Paper planes, maybe. Not after the last time. Uh, so yes, John Cruise, John, John Cruise, John. That's what Sean Connery calls him, John. Alex Kurtzman, uh, one half of the writing producing team, uh, Kurtzman and Ortsy, is going to direct this movie. He's going to make his directorial debut in this one. Uh, Tom Cruise is in it. Annabelle Wallace is in it. Sophia Batella is in it. And now Jake Johnson, we like him. He's, uh, he's in talks to play a military character role written expressly for him. So I imagine he's a wisecracking uh, military mm-hmm. character in this movie. So that's exciting. Can't go wrong with a mummy. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's a line. <laughs> You can't go wrong with a mummy. Do you remember the Russell Mulcahy mummy time. movie? Jason Scott Lee? I, do you know what? I can't remember, but it's... Uh, it's I, I can remember that it's got um, uh, Arthur from EastEnders in it with uh, Christine Hewitt. Bill Treacher? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, there's a scene where you see them together. So It's almost like they uh, Arthur didn't really die in EastEnders. He actually ran off with the woman he was having an affair with. No way. Yeah. Anyway. No way. Two big trailers as well to talk about, apart from the uh, Captain America colon Civil War trailer we just discussed in great detail. 
So there was another Ghostbusters trailer, an international trailer that came out this week. It had some new footage in it, some new jokes, some new stuff that I'm sure will incense misogynists everywhere. It's got added Hemsworth, uh, indeed. So uh, I spoke to Paul Figg uh, this week, the director of the movie, for a trailer breakdown in our very, very patented style. So you can check that out on the website, which I believe, James, is empireonline.com, is that dot, correct? Dot .com, yes, that's right. Okay, that's cool. Hardcore Henry, go yes, on very quickly. So, which is the, the first person action movie, uh, which has Tim Roth in it. It's... It's a first. It's an action movie that's you first person. You know the it's really not... shit scene from Doom, where it goes I'm, first person shooter. I'm 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 gonna quibble with you in that one. That's a very good scene in Doom. In an otherwise um, excellent movie, is that, uh, is that what you're saying? Which I'm is not looking it up. Definitely fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, so this whole film is is shot presumably with a strap-on GoPro, Dan Steady. And frankly, really, really just utterly mental trailer. Him jumping over cars, kicking people, shooting people, blowing stuff up. It frankly makes you feel a bit ill it's it's quite motion sickness yeah I'm worried about how that's going to um, play out for 90 minutes yeah but really really fascinated to see it like really fascinated to see it yeah possibly in 3D it's out on April 8th mm. as well I hear good things yeah. I hear good things Hardcore Henry tale of a, a hoover that has that can't take it anymore and turns <laughs> in its owners that's the uh, breaking news klaxon and that is because uh, we recorded this podcast inadvertently in two parts we were meant to record it in one part but we got kicked out of the pod booth <laughs> on Thursday afternoon before we could finish it all and overnight lots of news broke for us to discuss in a little bit more in detail some of it is very sad uh, in fact let's start with that let's start with the, the sad news that the great Ken Adam the brilliant production designer behind so many of the early classic bonds uh, Dr. Strangelove or How I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb some of the uh, great Michael Caine Harry Palmer movies your Chris file movies like that Barry Lyndon passed away at the age of 95 you're still a good old innings as they say Dan you like me you're a massive Bond fan yeah, yeah, I actually met Ken Adam once. Um, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, actually, on the set of Die Another Day, which he production designed as well. So actually, he did go for a very long time as an active production designer on the Bond movies. But yeah, he um, he was fascinating to talk to. And I ended up, of course, talking to him more about the old classic Bonds. I mean, he is responsible for the, um, you know, the giant hollowed out volcano, isn't he? He is, yes. In um, You Only Live Twice, which is the best Bond villain base, right? Agreed, everyone? I would say yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah? Pretty much. Yeah. Or, or is it the Spy Who Loved Me's uh, under, under Underwater Base, uh, which uh, he also designed, so he wins twice. Um, you only he win only twice. only wins twice. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and, and Strange Love as well. I mean, the, um, the War Room. You can't fight in here, it's the war room. That was his design too. And of course, that was very Bond-esque in itself. But he, he was just he was just absolute, an absolute genius at creating these larger-than-life spaces that, that felt brilliantly real at the same time. I would love to have been able to go to his house. <laughs> Can you imagine? Uh, do, you, do you think he lived in a Bond lair under the sea or on the moon? I'm we- gonna I'm gonna hazard a guess that he lived in a nice kind of normal house. Yeah, two yeah. up, forty-seven down. <laughs> yeah. That's disappointing. But he did have the car from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang in the driveway at all uh, yep. times. Another one that he uh, he he production des- <laughs> production designed. I think that's the uh, the phrase that, that I'm going to use. Weirdly enough, Dan, I don't think he did actually. I'm not to call you quite remember into question. I'm sure you did meet Ken Adam. Uh, but he must have been just on die another day because he didn't actually production design it unless he was uh, unless he was just there for a day and just uh, happened or unless it was someone pretending to be Ken Adam or he but, was raiding uh, cross services but the, the point <laughs> yes but the point is he was a genius and had an indelible mark on movies uh, hugely influential and will be much missed Ken Adam who died this week 
Uh, as indeed, of course, did uh, the great George Martin. He also contributed a lot to the the Bond movies, wrote the score for Live and Let Die, uh, produced Shirley Bassey's Goldfinger single, and lots of other stuff besides, including working with um, a band that I know you love, James, because you were dedicated to being wrong yes, about everything. in excess. Oh, dear Lord. Mm. And the Beatles, of course, the Fab Four. He was a legend, and uh, he passed away this week at the age of 90. George Martin. R.I.P. Alright, other news that broke overnight there was some interesting stuff Halle Berry is in talks to star be one of the stars of Kingsman 2 which is interesting playing mm-hmm. the head of what we're told is the CIA there's going to be potentially an American version of the Kingsman in, in this one what do we make of this casting? I mean I was super excited when Julianne Moore was announced Yeah So Sounds like they're bringing all the women in doesn't it? Yep All the ladies. All of the ladies. All the single ladies. I mean, they're not, but yeah. (laughs) No, I think this could be really interesting. I don't know if they'll play on her sort of previous Bond antics. Mm -hmm. Or she could have a lot of fun with that if it goes a bit meta and sort of wink, wink. Maybe. Nudge, nudge, as I'm sure it will. Nudgy, nudgy, winky, winky. Absolutely. It's going to be uh, very, very interesting. Some more casting yet to be announced for that movie. So uh, keep an eye on that one. But at the moment, yeah, Taron Egerton, Julianne Moore and Halle Berry. Not bad at all. Uh, what else happened overnight? Uh, so the Dark Tower movie, which I'm uh, very excited slash intrigued uh, by, is um, uh, has cast as Jake Chambers. If you if you know Stephen King's The Dark Tower, you know the, the central character, Roland Deschain, who is in search of The Dark Tower. He's played by Idris Elba in the movie. Has a group of people with him, a group of followers, a, a cartet, as he calls him. One of them is a young kid called Jake Chambers and their relationship is very, very deep and multi-layered and weird. And uh, he's going to be played by a young British actor called Tom Taylor who was very briefly in The Last Kingdom. Did anyone see The Last Kingdom? I did, yes. You played young young Utrecht. Oh, yeah. Okay. In the very first episode. So, yeah, that's interesting. And of course, Daisy Ridley is now connected to Tomb Raider. (laughs) Don't know. That's a segue. That is a segue. Yeah, not for James. That's just sort of his inner monologue. I don't know what you're talking about. Coming out. It's interesting. I, it's interesting in many ways that they're just revisiting Tomb Raider, but it's kind of in keeping with the direction that the game is going, since the most recent Tomb Raider games have both been uh, skewed younger, sort of origin stories, sort of young Lara, and she's pretty good casting for that, very plummy accented. The thing that I most remember uh, about Tomb Raider was doing the roundtables for the first film, and we, uh, I remember sitting down with Angelina Jolie, and the international journalists on this roundtable were fixating on her bosoms. <laughs> uh, for everyone who doesn't know, obviously games are designed by adolescent boys, so they are quite breast fixated. If anyone played the original game, she's quite, uh, you know, frankly, unrealistic. There's a lot of pixels. A lot There's of a lot of pixels. Yeah. There's a lot of pixel density. And people kept bringing it up, and she was getting more and more irritated. And then she just flipped out at one point, sort of grabbed her breasts, reeled off her measurements, and said, Can we just now move? Can we leave this alone? We're done. I'm finished. That's it. We're not talking about this anymore. It was very, very awkward. I really did feel for her, actually, in that, because I think she'd really had Does enough. It. So many poor yeah. children. Sorry, uh, I apologise for that. But <laughs> yeah. that's the whole thing, and I really, really profoundly hope that that kind of sort of frankly rampant sexism doesn't come up again. Well, that's very interesting one. because I'm oh, sorry, Dan. Well, is it, don't you think though, Daisy? Really, isn't, isn't this a bit sort of typecasting? I mean, Ray is a scavenger who uh, <laughs> who uh, quite nimbly moves around large, kind of cavernous uh, subterranean spaces. Yeah, mm. and now they're going to cast her as someone else who basically does exactly the same thing. Yeah, it's an odd thing, but I mean, for Daisy, you've got to think what what should she do next? I mean, oh, Daisy now is it? Yes, yes, me and Daisy, good friends. <laughs> okay. You've gone from essentially doing Mr. Selfridge and not a lot on telly to doing huge film to doing Star Wars. What do you do after that? I'm not sure. This is necessarily what I would have chosen, uh, just because obviously computer game games don't tend to do very well. This is, as you say, it's a little bit too mm. close. Will the film be very good? The other ones weren't. There's no evidence, really, to suggest that this will be. And the script is amazing. 
I don't know. What would you have done? Would you do something completely different? Would you do like a period drama? What? Where do you go from Star Wars? Well, she's. How do you break the curse? She's going for another franchise as well, which you think. Mm. I think she should be the new Bond. Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps she should. Jane Bond. Jane Bond. There you Jane go. Bond. There you go. No. No, right. I'm, vetoing. I'm, 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 I'm still furious about the female Ghostbusters, Dan. Do you want to? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, of course, yeah. of course, yeah. men's <laughs> rights activist Christian. Yeah. Uh, when's International Men's Day? That's what I want to know. Yeah, oh, good yeah. Why is there a Mother's Day and not a Father's? Oh, hang on. <laughs> Wait a second. What's happening here? This is wrong. Well, this is really interesting because uh, Daisy Ridley this week on Instagram. Uh, if anyone follows her in there, um, subsequently deleted this, but there was a someone had uh, posted a picture of her saying something like Ray is setting unrealistic expectations for young girls mm, to live yeah, up to yeah. I saw that and uh, Daisy Whitley posted quite a uh, fervent she's you know I think I, I like her on Instagram she, her personality really comes across and yeah. uh, sort of a very bolshy reply uh, saying you know women are all all ethnicities all sizes all shapes just take me as I am well the, yeah the poster had said real women have curves and she quite rightly pointed out I am a real woman mm-hmm. so you know but yes. then I think there was an outpouring of hate for the poster and so Daisy then I think Posted again saying, please don't lynch this poor woman. Think about it, she's very open, I think, to the feelings of her posters. And uh, for the most part, she gets a, a, you know, a lot of love on, on Instagram. But uh, it was interesting to see that I caused a bit of a stir. It just feels like uh, everyone's getting a bit upset about anything and everything at the moment. Yep. Welcome and to the time. internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right, so uh, any other news to talk about? No? Okay, I'll I'll do the uh, breaking news klaxon. Beep, 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 beep. And we're breaking seamlessly back into the podcast. That's it for the movie news. Our, our second guest this week is the best Taylor Joy since Dennis Taylor beat Steve Davis in 1817 in the World Snooker Championship final in 1985. Uh, she is a true newcomer. She's the star of this week's The Witch, in which she plays a young girl who comes under suspicion of the worst kind, uh, namely of being a witch. Uh, she is Anya Taylor Joy. She's an Anglo Argentinian actress with a faint American accent. And she was speaking to me when she came at the pod booth uh, last week. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the star of The Witch, Anya Taylor-Joy. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So excited to be here. Excellent, excellent. Um, first things first, I have to start with your accent. Uh, because uh, it is it has intrigued me uh, ever since we've been talking today. Yeah, it's, it's messed up, man. It's like... Um, <laughs> my- so my first language is Spanish, and um, I only learned English when I was eight, even though I, we moved here when I was six because I was stubborn and I wanted to okay. go home. Uh, but I mimic people in English, and it doesn't happen in Spanish, which is great, but in English, I, I'm all over the place. Like, be careful, I might start doing you very, okay. very soon. interesting. Uh, my accent's a bit of a, a weird accent as well. Where are you from? It's a bit over the shop. Uh, Northern Ireland. Where? Uh, a place called Banbridge near Belfast. I spent um, three months in Belfast shooting Morgan, and I loved it. I okay. Absolutely love it. Uh, did you did you take on the accent? Oh yeah, it was bad. <laughs> it was so it was so harsh. And my best friend still like you know she's from there, and so whenever we talk, it's just instantly uh-huh. bang on. Oh, fantastic! Because mm-hmm. it, it mine's a bit soft. It's been softened over the years. I spent a year in the states as well, which hasn't helped either. But I watch a lot of TV. Oh, thank you very much indeed. But yeah, it's just uh, it's intriguing to see whether you can take on my dulcet tones over the next uh, twenty minutes. Or so. Maybe I'll do a test at the end of the podcast. To see, it's so funny, see how actually. Go. Like people have already started. Um, I don't read any of those comment things because they frighten me. But oh, um, yeah. I've Never seen read a- the comments. They're scary, man. Like, I don't like them. There's some really aggressive people out there. But yeah. a lot of them are like, why is she pretending to be American? Like, that kind of thing's going to get her hated. And I'm like, whoa, okay. 
Interesting. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Amazing. Do you read uh, replies to your tweets? Um, the which ones are really funny because okay. people just come. It, it seems like they come out of the movie and they just need to get their opinion out there into like the Twitterverse. <laughs> and so I've enjoyed reading those um, quite a bit. Uh, it is interesting. It's a movie that has lodged itself in, in my head ever since I saw it. It's it's one of those movies that gets under your skin. Yeah. Creeps and crawls around for a little bit. Um, which I believe is, uh, is something akin to the experience you had when you were actually reading the script for the first time. That it was ill-advised. You read it at night. Oh, yeah. Is, that's, not, that's not... Big mistake. Yeah. Big mistake. Huge. Um, yeah, no, it was... Reading the script for the first time was just... It was unlike any experience I'd ever had before because I I went into it so kind of like innocently and naively. I was just sort of like, yep, okay, and now I have an audition tomorrow, so I like read the script because that's my job. And um, when I when I turned the last page, I just I I couldn't I couldn't emote. I was so kind of like locked into myself, and I couldn't really understand what it was about it that had gotten me that way. Uh-huh. And then when I went to the audition the next day, it was the first time that I was just so unbelievably anxious to go to an audition like I had never kind of I was shaking all over I was like verge of tears um, and luckily wow. it worked out wow <laughs> so for people who haven't seen it uh, you play Thomasine who's uh, mm-hmm. how would you describe this character Thomason oh uh, Thomason's a 15 year old girl growing oh. up in a puritanical family um everything's so confusing for her because she's going through puberty and has left everything. You know, she's just struggling, man. She doesn't fit into her family, into her, you know, into the environment that she's in, any of it. And um, she's she's just really, really struggling to try and find herself and be herself. Mm-hmm. And was that a character you could plug into? Yeah. Uh, oh, right completely. Away. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, because I'm from all of these different places, I've always had this thing where I belong at the same time I never belong fully and so I've always been very kind of aware of feeling a bit like an outsider and not really fitting into my you know situations or whatever and so yeah I had a, a lot of empathy for her mm. and I, I guess that, that sort of struggle for identity that struggle for self totally really, as, uh, as well yeah but I think you know everyone kind of goes through that and um, I'm 19 now and I'm definitely still growing up I think you kind of grow up for the rest of your life and um, I think oh, I everyone can Oh, really? I stopped. You just decided, no, yeah, this is just, the day I yeah, am grown. This is what you get, basically. <laughs> I haven't changed since I was 22. I'm still the same oh, horrible person. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, hopefully it's something that a lot of people can kind of plug into for Thomason. Yeah. You know, they can really, like, allow her to be their way into the world. Because it is, you know, when you come into it, it's in Jacobean English. Though Rob recently told me it's actually not Jacobean, it's Caroline. And okay. he's been telling me that it's been Jacobean for like the last year and a half. And I'm like, thank you, Robert okay. Eggers. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's Jacobean English. You know, everything's so historically accurate. So you really are entering into a world. And um, because Thomason's, you know, growing up and learning about it, I think that it's quite an easy way in for the audience to go in through her eyes. And um, that's why Rob kind of based it on her sort of thing. Okay. So, so from her, her mm-hmm. point of view, as her, her parents are quite puritanical. Yes. Uh, trying to adapt to the... The supernatural conditions are around them, uh, so to speak. What I thought, what I thought was very interesting about the film uh, is that Robert Eggers very early on declares that there is a supernatural presence yes. in the woods as well, which I thought was 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 very cool, very interesting. And he didn't keep the guessing game going. Yeah, no, I um, oh, I love him so much. He's so he's so incredible and talented, and um, just a wonderful, wonderful man. But uh, yeah, no, I think that it's really important for people to understand that. You know, whilst the witch nowadays is something that's quite, you know, disnified and, you know, like a plastic decoration yes. that you put on your house for Halloween in, you know, 
the puritanical mind's eye. Like mm. the witch was real and was like a very, very real threat and something that was capable of doing, you know, all the horrible things that happen in our film. And so I think the decision to kind of show a supernatural presence so early on was really mm. about um, allowing the audience to understand what it was that they were afraid of and to understand the stakes mm -hmm. as to like, you know, what's going on around this family. And mm. that way, like you can, you know, feel more for them because you're aware of like this kind of outside threat yeah absolutely you mentioned uh disney fight there and mm -hmm. uh, uh i was reading one of your uh, early auditions oh was for maleficent yes it was my first one it was <laughs> i've never cried so hard in my entire life i went home and i just sobbed for hours on my bed so it went well then <laughs> yeah so well it was fine it was to play the young angie and i was very blonde at the time okay. like severely you know nordic blonde the way that i am in the witch yes and um yeah, I just, I couldn't believe that my first, I'm the biggest Disney fan that has ever existed, like, to a whole other level of, like, diehard. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was just a bit too much for me. Okay. Just too emotional. Mm -hmm. Well, where was your audition? Was it on the, the Disney lot? Or, oh, no, or no, no. was it just the fact that it was Disney that just overwhelmed you a little we're, bit? <laughs> we're not even talking about my first experience when I went to the actual Disney lot in California. Like, I freaked <laughs> out. I stayed for, like, four hours after my meeting, like, walking around and looking at the illustrations and just, like, dying. Um, no, uh, <laughs> this was um, this was just in one of the studios in London, but it was more about the fact that I walked in and my mum went for me mm -hmm. and I saw all the posters on the walls. And I was like, oh, my God, it's real. It's happening. I'm here. I've made it. And then it was like, yeah, you didn't get the job. And I was like, no. So, yeah, it was it was a big introduction to uh, to acting. Damn you, Disney. Damn you, Disney. I'll show you. <laughs> so, uh, you're into the witch. Tell me the witch. The complete antithesis, I'm guessing, mm -hmm. of what could have been the experience on Maleficent with the big budget and the big sets and the catering and the warmth. Yeah. Uh, this is very, 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 very different to that. Mm -hmm. uh, where did you Where did you shoot the film? Uh, it was the middle of nowhere, essentially, wasn't it? Middle of nowhere, but like the most beautiful middle of nowhere that yeah. you could imagine. It was um, so about like I think it's like six hours away from Toronto. Uh, there's this place called Matawa, and okay. we actually shot like an hour and a half away from Matawa. But Matawa is where we were living. And um, it's like a one street town. We knew everyone by the end of it. Like they all really accepted us. We had such a great time. And it definitely like lended itself to creating this family atmosphere because, mm -hmm. I mean, we were so honored to be here for the London Film Festival. And um, we had this moment, Ralph, Kate and I, where we just kind of looked at each other and we were like, this would be so different if we had shot this in England. But because we were so isolated and there was no, you know, cell service, there was no internet, there was nothing like that. And so we didn't have access to our support network. So we became each other's support network. And it's really interesting because it's just not really, um, it's not really changed since then. We've all really retained our bonds and we're very close. Uh, I read another uh, another interview with you where you said that uh, basically the entire cast is dead in your apartment. Yeah. In, oh God. Yeah. L.A. Mm -hmm. That happened, and it was so much fun. It didn't <laughs> feel weird at all. Like it sounds weird. It sounds kind of creepy, but in reality, it, it was creepy. just like it's, it's just just fine. You know. It was four of us, and you know Ralph's wife as well, like just chilling out in this apartment. In, in a one-bedroom apartment, apparently. In this one-bedroom apartment, yes. Okay, but wow. they were sleeping on the couch. Were they crammed into corners? Were they, were they under I the sofa? I just put them in all of the cabinets and the drawers <laughs> and, like, stowed them away for safekeeping. No. Amazing, amazing. And did they give you a good rating, at least, on TripAdvisor or Airbnb afterwards? Did they at least do that? I haven't even checked my Airbnb thing. <laughs> it frightens me. I don't want to know what they're going to say. They're going to be like, What? Four people? What is this madness? Yeah, I was promised a one-bedroom paradise and I had to sleep with five other people and a goat. Because I'm assuming that Black Phillip 
stage oh, of course. Well. Because I said the entire cast, of course did, Charlie yeah. came too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Black Phillip's real name is Charlie. His Black name Phillip's is Charlie. the goat in the film. Yes. Uh, one of the greatest screen goats of all time. Thank you. Uh, he's goat, goat, goat. He uh, is, yes. Uh, what was that experience like? He is like? goat. This he is, is true. Goat. He is the goat. <laughs> uh, what was that experience like working with uh, a goat? Um, so, like, we had a number of animals kind of around, and the majority of them very well trained, you know, like hit their marks, knew what they were doing. Really, really great. Charlie um, is, a, is a goat. So yeah. you can't really teach goats to do that much. They kind of just like do their own thing. And um, every, well, no, Rob Rob respects Charlie, but like the majority of the cast absolutely hates him, especially Ralph, because Charlie, <laughs> they hated each other. Just mutual hatred from the beginning, you know, like horns down, pawing at the earth. Like, oh, really? Yeah, aggressive. But um, wow. Charlie and I got along great. Like we would always be, I have this really gorgeous picture of the two of us just like chilling out in the sun being like, life. This is great. We're making a movie. Um, chilling with Bay. Yeah, we just, <laughs> chilling with Bay. I only just it, that does mean before anyone else, right? I only just discovered this. I have no idea if it means anything. Oh that, God, you've taught me something today. Thank is, that, you. is that what it means? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I, okay. According to Google, Bay who, means before anyone. Who, who could possibly <laughs> argue with Google? I mean, no one, no one, least of all me. But no, Charlie's great, um, absolutely great. And I actually really love goats now. I was thinking about getting like two little like pygmy goats to just follow me around everywhere and like wow. make that a thing. Yeah. So Ralph Innocent, um, mm-hmm. fantastic, fantastic actor. He is. I know him best as Finchie from The Office. Yes. Uh, presumably you've seen The Office. Presumably you, you no, no, actually no. Okay. I've been, I've been exposed. I'm so sorry. We've talked about it, but No. <laughs> I haven't I haven't I haven't watched it yet. Okay. We have I have a very long list of like stuff I must watch or else I'm just a terrible human being, but I will I will get there. Okay. There will come a time. I mean, I'm not I'm not blaming you for not watching The Office. I think it came out about 10 or 12 years ago. You would have been 7, so you probably I just moved here. By at the time, yeah. yeah, and you weren't speaking English, and I was not speaking and English. And the whole thing, yeah, that, that's all fine. <laughs> but uh, but I was just wondering if you knew who Ralph uh, was before you 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 worked with him. Whether you knew he was Finchie and this, I knew him from Harry Potter. It really, yeah, because I'd um, I'd I'd I'm a big Harry Potter fan. I'd learned to speak English reading books, and so uh-huh. like when the movies came out, I was really into them, and I really kind of like. I knew the faces of people and I was just like, Mom, I'm reading with a death like each other. This is so exciting. <laughs> and um, actually, our audition was phenomenal because it it was just like this kind of serendipitous thing where we, we mm. did the scene together. And this was my third audition. It was by the time it was the final one, you know, Chemistry Reads. And yeah. um, we did our, our big scene together and we hadn't changed anything when we actually shot it. Like we had done it the exact same way that we'd done it in the room that day because it was just right and our energies kind of like met at the right place and it yeah, was yeah, yeah. it just worked out and he's the most incredible actor and he was so committed to this movie you know he lost so much weight charlie put him in the hospital like three times like it was yeah he was the he was the he was the leader of us and he definitely like got us all together and you know kept the the good spirits going and he's yeah. just marvelous yeah he's amazing and he obviously has this this the wonderfully voice wonderfully deep voice you know oh. it's just just amazing golden uh, honey yeah like <laughs> dripping down from like more golden honey like he's just miraculous and obviously his character the the father of the family is, is very much someone who from from whom the family takes her their lead takes her cue as well and i wondered if you took your cue in terms of that phenomenal accent that you did in the movie 
Oh, yeah, thank yeah. you. Now, now meeting you here as well and, and finding out what your accent is really like in real life, it's even more impressive. Oh, so thanks. how did you go about this? Is it something that, like, as you said earlier on, came naturally to you? or Well, this is the thing, mimicking. Um, mm. it's, actually, it's really difficult to mimic Ralph's voice just because, and I really don't do it on purpose. It's like this like weird compulsion thing that just like makes me do it. It's like an atonement, like, no, not atonement. I'm mixing up Joe right here. Hannah. It's like a Hannah adapt or die kind of thing. Mm. That's definitely not atonement. Um, <laughs> whoops. Uh, but yeah, so true. I couldn't really do his as well. But um, Lucas, the little boy, was six. He's just got this beautiful, broad Northern Yorkshire accent, and it's just gorgeous. And so we we would talk like maybe two minutes before going into the scene. I'd be like, "Hey, like Lucas, buddy, like what's going on?" And we talk for like five minutes, and then I just walk in and do well, it so you don't keep the accent up in between takes no and actually Rob would be freaked out because we'd be walking around he's like why do you sound Canadian like why <laughs> do I do I need to be worried about this is this something that we need to talk about and I was like Rob it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fine I promise I promise and he was like okay amazing um, I've got to ask uh, one, one, a couple of last things mm-hmm. not to throw too much back in your face you said in previous interviews but it was interesting that you mentioned Atonement and Hannah because I also read somewhere that you uh, are a big fan of Saoirse Ronan. Such a big fan. I'm actually quite worried that she's going to read all these things and be like, psycho. <laughs> um, but I do know, I love her. And I love her because I think that she um, she made such great choices and she was so young as well. And, mm. you know, it's a, it's a real commitment to the integrity of the work and to like these very kind of flawed specific characters that I feel like a lot of people would shy away from yeah. and she just didn't and she went for it and she absolutely killed it and uh, and I just started watching all of her films and by the end of it I was just like sitting on my bed and like crying with sheer inadequacy of just like <laughs> what? How does this person exist? Like she's so talented and um, yeah I just think she's absolutely incredible. I loved Brooklyn as well. That oh, yeah. score so is good. stunning. Yeah, she's she's fantastic. She can uh, She can act a bit. You know, she can act a bit she can act a bit just yeah. a bit she's fine yep. she's fine um, I take it in you haven't met her because I, I'm getting the feeling if you had met her we'd have heard the, the, uh, the screaming from someone yeah, yeah you well, were screaming on hers yeah of course my screaming she wouldn't be screaming she'd just be like what the hell what's going on why is this um, person screaming at me <laughs> no I haven't met her and okay. I'm not starstruck like I just don't do that and the majority of the time it's because I'm oblivious I have really bad eyesight and I also just don't <laughs> know what people look like all the time I kind of I forget faces a lot and so most like whenever I'm in LA I'm always like I think I went to school with that guy and they're like no Anya he's famous like he's an actor and I was like oh okay got it's it Tom right Cruise, Anya. it was, it was <laughs> Aaron Taylor Johnson <laughs> he came into a restaurant and I was like I think I went to school with that guy and they're like no no babe no that that's that's kick ass like no like, right okay but um Sarah I just think I'm just not gonna talk I think I'm just gonna be like Yep, no, nothing, no. Mm-mm. Okay, okay. <laughs> Interesting. And then the very last thing, Anya, before I let you go is, mm-hmm. has my accent seeped into your brain yet? I've been fighting it so hard. <laughs> I've been fighting it so hard. But I guarantee you that the second that I leave mm-hmm. this office, you're Belfast, and I, I can't escape it. <laughs> that's not bad. It's not bad at all. That's Worst not, accents, man. That's not bloody bad, so it isn't. Mm-mm. Right, that's it. <laughs> Uh, absolute delight to have Anya Taylor join the podcast thank, thank you, you so much for having me thank you <laughs> she's a lot of fun a lot of fun and she's gonna go she's gonna go far gonna go far late young girl mm. there you go let's talk about The Witch let's start off our reviews section with indeed Robert Eggers The Witch one of the most hyped scary films of recent years 
Dan, mm. I, know, I know for a fact you've seen this because I'm yes. sitting next to you. Yes, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And it's interesting because it's, it's not really a horror film. So it's one of those, uh, it, it gets tagged as a horror film. But it's, it's something quite different. It has a lot in common with fairy tales. It's Puritans in America in the, I want to say 17th century. It is the 17th century. And they're basically, these, this one family, um, Ralph Innocent is, is the father of the family. Kate Dickey is the, the mother and Anya Taylor-Joy is the oldest child. They're like so hardcore Puritan that they don't want to live with the Puritans, right? They're like, no, 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 no. We're, we're going out into God's great country. Well, they've been banished. By ourselves, yeah, because they're, they're so sort of, you know, yeah. up in the grills of the other Puritans over there not being Puritan enough. So um, I love God, man. You don't love him as much as I do. That kind of thing. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they go off on their own and build their home on the edge of these big scary woods right out in the middle of nowhere and think they can make a go of it basically. And it's a really interesting psychological setup because this is the this is an era where obviously, you know, uh, science hasn't yet taken hold in people's minds. So explanations for things happening basically fall on superstition. The setup makes it pretty explicit. And this isn't a spoiler because this is the beginning of the film. Yeah. The setup makes it explicit that an actual witch comes in and steals away mm-hmm. the youngest child, which is a baby, and kills it. Okay? Mm-hmm. Then the rest of the film is the, the family dealing with what's happened here. Mm-hmm. And despite the fact, this is the genius of the film, I think, despite the fact that you see this at the beginning, it's shown as something that happens, you're still not sure whether it actually happened, even though it's shown objectively. And it's all about the power of superstition to these people. It's like, if you believe it, it's real. And that's where the horror comes from. Because suddenly, you should be scared of the dark. You should be scared of of strange women that you think live in the woods. And you should be scared of the woods as well. And so that's why it works so well for me. And you, I mean, you, you reviewed it for, uh, for the mag, didn't you, Chris? Yeah, I did, Dan. I, I, I gave this uh, four stars. Very close to giving it five, but I don't think this is everyone's cup of tea. This movie, there's going to be a lot of people who uh, will go in expecting a, a conventional horror movie, and this isn't that at all. There's a 1982 movie that scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. It's also called The Witch, uh, although in this country it's known as Superstition. And that is a more conventional haunted house, evil witch, family moves in, people get bumped off, mysterious omen-like circumstances. That's the movie you want to watch if you want things to leap out at you. This really isn't that. It's a very, very slow burn movie. It's got a lot to lot in its, uh, lot in its mind and a lot to get off its chest. But I, I really, really liked it. I thought it's uh, brilliantly acted, very dark, very sombre. We were both surprised, weren't we, to find that the director, Robert Eggers, isn't British. Because we thought, I th- there's something about this movie that, that's reminiscent of uh, Ben Wheatley's work. It's reminiscent of Witchfinder General, that, that great movie hmm. from the 60s starring Vincent Price. Yeah. It's got that same sort of frosty, stark atmosphere. Really, really great. And if you like your movie Goats. <laughs> I do, actually. You like your movie Goats? I love Goats. The one, my favourite, up until I saw The Witch, mm-hmm. before we get on to mm-hmm. The Witch's one, mm-hmm. is uh, Jurassic Parks. Jurassic Parks? Goat. Yeah. Poor thing. Yeah. Uh, my favourite is the possessed goat in Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell. Ah, yes. There's a goat yes. demon that turns up during a seance. Okay. It's but, very, very cool. But, but this, now we've got someone, haven't we? We've got we a have, goat who, we have goat, yeah. who, you know, really goes further than any other goat performance, <laughs> I felt. Uh, really uh, pushed the envelope. You really feel wise. it. Yeah, Black Philip is yeah. the goat's <laughs> name. Yeah. And uh, as you just heard in the interview with uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, his real name is Charlie. And he's apparently a lovely goat. So, Black Philip. Uh, and he's yeah. on the poster. He's G-O... Yeah. One yeah. of the posters. He's on one of the posters. G-O-A-T. The greatest of all time. Absolutely. Well done, Black Philip. He'll be winning Best Goat at next year's Jemison <laughs> Empire Awards. All right, then. Four stars for The Witch. But, you know, if you think you share my sensibilities when it comes to horror, if you know by now after listening to these podcasts for four years what the sensibilities are, uh, then, you know, go on. 
what the hell, add an extra star. But <laughs> I will say, unequivocally, five stars to Anomaly. Anomaly. Hey. Uh, Anomaly. Anom- what, what is it? What's it called? <laughs> Charlie Kaufman's new movie <laughs> Anomalisa did I get it right? Yep. yeah <laughs> yes um, no wait it's Anomalisa oh for God's sake <laughs> uh, which is out this week in all good mind-bendy multiplexes who wants to take this one? I think I will okay Emma Thrower Okay. So Anomalisa is the result of a Kickstarter campaign and honestly, hands down, is in the 1% of Kickstarters that are genuinely worthy of your time. It focuses on motivational speaker Michael Stone, who's voiced by David Thewlis, and he's bored of his... David Thewlis. David That's uncanny. Terrible experiments. Dr. Moreau on your terrible experiments. I love it. And uh, monkey me. He, he is bored of his mundane existence, which is a bit of a surprise when you're considering his job. So in I've a, nutsh- a mundane existence. <laughs> I love having a mundane ex- Sorry, Shall I'm travelling all over your review. That, yeah, go on. In that accent. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I can do it. I don't want to upset David Thewlis. That's too late. <laughs> <laughs> but in a nutshell, Michael checks into a Cincinnati hotel for a conference that he's guest speaker at. And he has a couple of drinks. He has a run-in with an ex. He has a few more drinks. Then he meets Lisa, who's voiced by Jennifer Jason Lee. And then they have a few more drinks. So everyone here is a puppet and they've all got these clip-on faces, as Chris was sort of saying earlier. And it adds a really sort of novel kinetic energy, uh, even in the stillness of the film, as everything seems to sort of fuzz along, a bit like in a Muppety kind of way. Um, And the reason Lisa is so special is her voice. And this is Anomalisa's special weapon. So aside from Michael and Lisa, everyone sounds exactly the same. So Thewlis may be the main part here, but the film is all about Tom Noonan. So he's amazing. He's incredible as David's ex-wife, as his son, his waiter, his cabbie, everything. Every other voice is Tom Noonan. So the film starts on a plane, so it allows you to get accustomed to that idea before throwing you in head first and making for a really, really funny ride. And there are some amazing recurring jokes throughout. And even though it's a really pessimistic film, it surprisingly is really, really, really funny. But this isn't an out-and-out comedy. It's not an easy watch because its more pessimistic notes definitely speak to everyone on some level. So it deals with loss, does with pain, acceptance, love, fun, happiness, basically every emotion. But it mainly looks at the self. So self-worth, self-love, identity and all those big questions. I and mean, it asks a lot of questions of its audience and that's where it really succeeds. So written by Kaufman, it obviously shares some DNA with his other works, sort of, you know, being John Malkovich, adaptation and eternal sunshine, dealing with identity and what it is to be human. So... For me, there were quite a few bits that didn't sit quite right in the moment, but the majority are explained a few moments later. There's a really odd dream sequence, which doesn't seem to sit right when Mm. it happens, but I think on a rewatch, it will make more sense because it does get an explanation. And what about the puppet shagging? (laughs) What about that? That's, that's, That's cut to the chase. Team America, I mean, you know, put it on the map. This, this, this is the complete other end of the puppet sex spectrum. The puppet, know, the puppet spectrum. sex spectrum. There okay. hasn't been many entries that kind so, of. Well, is that so, like a ZX spectrum? <laughs> <laughs> so, just to establish, there is a puppet sex scene in, in uh, Anomalisa. And uh, so there you have the Team America World Police mm-hmm. sex scene. This is a complete, complete opposite of that. Okay. Okay. It's tasteful. <gasps> it is tasteful. Tender. Like, yeah. Fuzzy. Awkward. I mean. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. At first, it's very much like, how's it all going to work, you know, anatomically? Anatomically, yeah. Anatomically. But it does, and that you, you don't 100% forget what's happening, that they are puppets, but it is... Nice isn't the right word. Oh, that's nice. Quite human. Human. Yeah. Okay. Which is, again, where the film really succeeds. Hmm. So, we get to hear David Hewlis' sex noise. Yeah, that happens. That does happen. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. 
Uh, yeah, you're right, I shouldn't. Anyway, yes. It's a really hard film to fault, and I do completely agree with what Ian Freer said in his review. It's a minor miracle of a movie, the most beautiful, haunting, empathetic, tender, funny 90 minutes of the year so far. Whether those 1,070 people the Kickstarters donated a lot or a little, thank uh-huh. you. Oh, amazing. Five yeah. stars. Five flipping stars. Five English stars for Anomalisa. Anomalisa. Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we... I'll get that right for the Never sequel. mention that film ever again. anatomically yeah. correct. <laughs> <laughs> right, so let's move on from uh, two absolutely belting films, and I'm not <laughs> setting this up in any way, shape, or form for a fall, uh, to the latest in a Divergent series. Uh, what's it called this week? Detergent. <laughs> no. Uh, no. Allegiant. No. Yes, Allegiant. This, this is Allegiant. This is, is this fact. A- the third yeah. uh, film in the D- Divergent series. Uh, for those who don't remember Divergent, uh, based on the books by Veronica Roth, this is a, a series whereby it's a future uh, dystopic Chicago where the whole of society is split into factions based on personality traits, much like one of those magazine quizzes we also do in Look In in the 80s. Um, <laughs> and you are... <laughs> That's a blast from the past. Emma's looking baffled. She's yeah. going, so what? what? Hey, what's a Look In? I mean, what's I a magazine? What? Yeah. What's the 80s? <laughs> I was born what in the, the 80s. 80s? Mm. You're killing me here. Yes, so they're, they're based into factions. Uh, they're set into factions based on their personality traits, whether that be uh, dauntless, uh, amity, abnegation, erudite. The most upsetting thing is, I think, the inconsistency in grammar there. Really, it's either an adjective or an abstract noun. Can we please make up our minds? So where would you put yourself? Pedantic. pedantic. <laughs> <laughs> there is indeed a pedantic faction. So that was the first one, and Shailene Woodley's character, Triss, is uh, identified as divergent. She doesn't fit into any of these uh, specific boxes. She is all of these things, so, you know... A normal person, and uh, she falls, uh, gets on the wrong side of Kate Winslet, and it all uh, goes a bit pear shaped. From there, the second film, Insurgent. Uh, I don't she, recall asking for a recap. Yes, before. I'm actually doing. I'm doing the whole saga at this point. We're going to do the whole thing. The second film, Insurgent, Escalation. Kate Winslet goes. It's a whole thing. This one builds on it from there. This is very. I, re- I mentioned this in the review. It's very common, I think, in young adult stuff where they have a central premise for a single book and they write that book and it does very well and then they feel the need to expand this world and each consecutive novel expands the mythology and gets increasingly confused. The Hunger Games, I think, suffers from this to a much lesser extent in the same way that, you know, it's repetition and they're trying to build a larger thing into something that was actually quite neat and nice and self-contained. But this one does get quite baffling. So this one sees Triss, Charlene Woodley and the ever-attractive Theo James as four head over the walls of the city out into the the wasteland where they run into a very sort of smirky Jeff Daniels who runs the uh, Bureau of Genetic Modification or something similar. And there's lots of eugenics and other stuff going on and it gets very, very thick very, very quickly as you desperately try to understand what's happening and you try even harder to, you know, care. And back in the city, the divergent system's all falling apart, everyone's killing each other, again, for reasons that are never really made clear. It's got an amazing supporting cast, this has. I mean, you've got Daniels, you've got Naomi Watts is in there, Octavia Spencer's in there as well. Kate Winslet is dead, but she was in there. Uh, Ashley Spoiler. Judd pops up for a flashback. It's all right, that happened in the last film. Uh, you know, there's there's some great people in there, but it is very, very far from a great film. Miles Teller, Zoe yeah. Kravitz, Ansel Elgort. Indeed. Miles Teller's the best thing in it, actually. Uh, yeah. I think he's he's the uh, he's he's the little scallywag who's betraying them every five minutes and they never seem to learn from it. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, Peter, he's a Peter, so there's probably lots of. Uh, but not to be confused with Peter, played by Joss no, Hutchison. No, not, not in that the Peter. Games. He's a different Peter. Yeah. So a lot of love for him. A lot of Peter files out there. Peter's uh, princesses. Yeah. Oh, is that what they're called? Yeah. Peter's princesses. I just learnt this. Oh, please be kidding. No, 100. percent This is. I've the just thing. watched one of our interviews with. Miles, and they're called Peter's Princesses. Peter's Princesses. Mm-hmm. You well, if to... you're a Peter's Princess, you should probably go and see the film. <laughs> yeah. For anyone else, I, you know, do do not. 
it, it really won't make much of a difference to your life. They're, this film is special. That's not the quote. They do <laughs> or do not. Do it won't make a difference. Not, not a difference um, to your life it will make. I have I have gone off on rants on this podcast before about the splitting of the final instalments of, of, of literary adaptations before, but this is one of the more egregious offenders. In fact, much like this podcast, it was split into two parts, <laughs> presumably because they got interrupted and kicked out of wherever they were recording it and then had to come back and do the rest the next day. <laughs> that would be an um, amazing reason for us. Yeah. Uh, so the fourth in this trilogy, uh, Ascendant, will be out next year. Yes. Um, and I don't know quite what they're going to do. So this, this covers... Uh, Allegiant. <laughs> Imagine how they feel. <laughs> yeah. Allegiant covers most of, uh, of the last book in the series, though it deviates a little bit and it doesn't have the, I think, quite controversial ending. So I guess they're saving that for the final film. Maybe it'll just be people but reading out the acknowledgements. Perhaps it will. Is it called Ascendant because it's at the arse end of the uh, series? Yeah, it's arse yeah. endant. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Good, hey, good. Nice one. Oh, well. I thought about that for like 30 whole seconds. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Um, so yes, if, if indeed you are... Oh, here's the thing also with Divergence. So I'm going to come back to the first film. One of the other things, apart from the grammar, that really irritates me is they go for a special test which tells them which faction they're part of, like genetically, mm-hmm. and then they get to choose whichever one they want. Yeah. And then if they choose... If it turns out that they're Divergent, they get killed. But it doesn't make, if you're genetically part of a faction, how do you get to choose a different one? It doesn't make any sense what at all. What does the whole yes. saga makes no fucking sense? James is so Slytherin, right? Oh, so Slytherin. <laughs> mm. Yeah. yeah, Slytherin yeah. at LeBooth, Slytherin at LeBooth. When you mentioned Slytherin. eugenics, I thought he was going to go on about, you know, how great they are. <laughs> Harry Potter. Yes. So, yes, right. shit-sorting hat. That's this series. Don't watch it. <laughs> Two stars, two says Emma. Wow. Okay, two star, two star. Really? Yeah, uh, you could have fooled me. I thought that was a four-star rave. Yeah. I really <laughs> want to see what your two-star uh, rants are like. Let's end on a high with Mr. Dan Jolin, uh, who's going to talk about Kung Fu Panda 3, the third in the Kung Fu Panda series. Yeah, the clue's in the title. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so this actually is kind of interesting. They seem to be saying, like, like this was, a, you know, it's like kind of the Dark Knight Rises of, of Kung Fu Panda films, because uh, they're, 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 they're sort of establishing that this is a definite end, that, you know, we've, they've been building up to this, and they kind of hinted, as you've been going through, about um, Poe, Jack Black, mm-hmm. uh, his origins. So in the first one, it's never commented upon that he's, he's the only panda there, and his dad's a duck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then the second one, kind of, you get a little glimpse into what happened and the reason that he got dumped on his dad's doorstep, and uh, and you saw little flashbacks to him when he was a baby and his, his his mother. So of course that left the question: who his father was, and where are all the pandas in this far eastern uh, talking animal world mm. known as the Valley in the mm. film? And so what this film does is it basically gives you the full reveal of Poe's backstory, his origin, if you will. And we get to meet his dad, who turns up on the scene and is voiced brilliantly by Brian Cranston, because I think everything Brian Cranston does is brilliant. So uh, I should go without saying. But yes, it's a fantastic vocal performance. And him and Jack Black, it's, it's funny. It's kind of like you can hear chemistry. And I don't even know if they were in the same room at the same time when they recorded it. But uh, they make a really great double act on screen. But of course, it wouldn't be a Kung Fu Panda film without a big threat. And for the first time, it goes um, supernatural, properly supernatural with its threat. So uh, the first film was a former student of uh, Poe's teacher, who uh, is the villain. The second film set up a different kind of villain who was using technology, gunpowder, what have you. And that was the threat. This is someone from the spirit realm. So a villain from the past who is returned from the dead and is a big bull voiced by J.K. Simmons called Kai and there's, there's, there's a good running gag throughout where no one's actually heard of him 
and he's really annoyed and he has to keep explaining who he is because he's from 500 years ago in the past <laughs> so he comes back and he's doing this thing where he's basically capturing the chi which is kind of the the little i don't know mcguffin's not quite the right word but it's a little theme here chi and he's captured chi of all these other kung fu masters and made them his kind of jade zombie slaves so yeah it kind of it has this really cool visual look to it actually because of this you've got all these kind of clickety clackety looking kind of jade zombie animals it's bloody weird um <laughs> but it's a fantastic looking film i mean dreamworks know what they're doing with this kind of stuff but it's it's gorgeous and painterly and it has those kind of um segments within it that are done uh, like beautifully hand-drawn or inked and kind of make you wish the whole film looked like that hmm. to be honest because i'm gonna have to say i'm 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 now officially quite bored with cg cartoons i just think they they tend to have a a texture and a feeling that is just, it's just got really, really uniform. It's got really blended out. So anything that they can do that makes you realise that, that, you know, you can actually use, you know, computer techniques with animation to, to create other effects is something I'm all for. So we were talking about the Lego movie yesterday. Indeed we were, which of course used a uh, low frame rate. That's right. Yeah, it reduced yes. the frame rate to make it look like stop motion. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so this has really nice touches on those lines. And, you know, this use of 3D is great. Although, again, I'm just one of these people that like, after the first two minutes of looking at something in 3D, your mind adjusts and it stops becoming remarkable. Mm. I think I think the real joy of this film is is just in the gags. Uh, Jack Black, I, I always think, is really good in this role. Yeah, as I say, Brian Cranston, I think, is the most valuable panda. Uh, in this movie so yeah uh, our reviewer gave it four stars I would go more three and a half personally mm-hmm. but you know mm-hmm. that's just just being picky just being picky is the snake in it yes the kung fu snake really bothers me because he doesn't have any she. arms or legs she she yeah. the, the, the non-gender specific snake bothers me snake kung fu no it's just it's weird and wrong and no. you, okay okay go back watch the film she's got some good moves she's got some well good moves I think is the technical term. But yeah, I mean, actually, do you know what? That's the crazy thing about it. these films. You look at this voice cast, okay? So, mm. Jack Black, mm-hmm. Angelina Jolie, Jackie Chan, mm-hmm. Seth Rogen, mm-hmm. Lucy Liu, Dustin Hoffman, yeah. Brian Cranston, J.K. Simmons. Yeah. It's crazy. What sort of snake is she? Uh, a viper. Oh, I see. Yeah, I, I'm with James Nitz. This bothers me. Because why would you bother kung fu people when you can just bite them and take them out with your deadly venom? Because she is a hero and mm. she's not going to poison people. Yeah, snakes don't think they got that. I'm sorry. All snakes uh, react to our threats, heat, and, you know, okay. an instinct. So, right. I'm, who, I'm, who, Sorry, but who in this podcast owns a snake? Uh, me. <laughs> okay, so don't lecture me on snakes. You own a snake. I own yeah. a snake. A corn snake. He's called Basil. See, a corn snake, that's mm. fine. Yeah. You know. He's lovely. Yeah, it's not a black mamba. I've been watching a lot of snake programs recently. Okay. <laughs> anyway, you mentioned J.K. Simmons there, and it reminds me there were two big bits of news we completely forgot to talk about. Let's talk about them briefly here. One is that J.K. Simmons is is Commissioner Gordon in Justice League. He's just been cast. He's yeah. one of the increasing fan diagram of people who've been in Marvel properties and DC mm-hmm. properties now includes J.K. Simmons at its core. What do we think about that? Great casting. Great it, casting. Him in anything. J. Jonah Gordon. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. J. J. That. Gordon. Exactly. Do you think? Are you? you know, do you have Marvel missed a trick by not recasting him as JJJ in uh, their upcoming Spider-Man reboot, or do you think they might go in a different direction with that, or do they not want to confuse the issue by having him in there? Alison Janney. Yes. Alison Janney as J. Jonah Jameson. Jane Jonah Jameson. Absolutely. Yes, that, that is good Just casting. Putting it out there. Alison Janney as as anyone in anything. I can <laughs> even really. see the hair working. 
And speaking of Spider-Man, uh, Sandaya, uh, who's an American actress and a singer, uh, she's been cast in an unannounced as yet unconfirmed role uh, also in the Spider-Man reboot, which is which is very, very interesting indeed. What do we what do we make of that? Is she going to be Mary Jane Watson? Is she going to be Gwen Stacy? Uh, inter- if, if so, interesting, progressive piece of casting, obviously. Hopefully neither. Neither? Neither? Neither, neither. A new character? Yeah. Okay. That'd be nice. Interesting. But obviously, I, I have no idea. Mm, okay. Well, I'm glad we brought that up. Yeah. Uh, right, so that, that's <laughs> it. That's it for this week's uh, Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. Uh, when we'll be joined by, I have literally no idea who we'll be joined by <laughs> next week. Uh, we're working on a couple of, uh, of of interviews, which, if they come off, will be great. And if not, then it'll be just Dan talking about a snake again. I can bring Basil in. Don't. I, I, I hate snakes. I hate them. I don't hate them. Oh. I do. Probably a little backbone. <laughs> uh, until then, it is goodbye from Dan. Goodbye. It's goodbye from James. I might, the second part of my goodbye is being split up and will be released at some point next year. <laughs> so it's just good then. Just good. Good. <laughs> I beg to differ. It's goodbye from Emma. Yeah, normal conventional goodbye. Normal conventional goodbye. Good, good, good. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to be voiced by Tom Noonan. Uh, I'll see you next week, everybody. Bye. That was my Tom Noonan impression. I have no idea what he sounds like. <laughs> he's 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 uh, Francis Dollarhide, isn't he? He is in, Francis Dollarhide, uh, in, yeah. Um, Manhunter. Yeah. So say I am the dragon rampant. I am the dragon rampant. There you go. That's Tom Noonan. There you go. <laughs> Live Tom Noonan voice in here on the Emperor <laughs> Podcast. I'll see you next week. Bye bye.